everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. We're pleased to be back with you for another great week. Uh, it's Blu-ray night, so a little bit later, we will be joined by Adam, who will review the June slate of Blu-ray releases. So that'll be in a few minutes. You okay with that, Adam? Kikuchi? Uh, Shunsugi Kikuchi? There you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so before we get to uh, to Adam... Uh, let's get to the exciting news of the week for one of our movie geeks. You met somebody important, Dean. I did. I didn't actually get to meet him. Now, frankly, I, you know, let me let me just let me just underline that I got to see hear him, but I didn't get to meet him. But uh, this weekend at uh, in Jonesboro, Georgia, uh, they had the 40th anniversary of uh, they were celebrating the 40th anniversary of the release of Smokey and the Bandit. Which was partially filmed in this little town, and uh, uh, you know some of those scenes that you see in, uh, uh, in they're supposed to be in Texas. Were actually filmed there, uh, the little house that uh, Jerry Reed owns. The, the first scenes that you see Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed. That was a house in in Jonesboro, uh, and some of the stunts and so forth were filmed there. Uh, but uh, uh, so. This event, uh, also at this event, were uh, Ellen Needham, the uh, the the widow of uh, Hal Needham, the director, uh, and um, Susie Ewing, who played Hot Pants Hilliard uh, in the in the film. Uh, she's one of the. Oh uh, man. She's one of the. She's one of the CB guys. CB uh, friends that uh, the bandit has that that help him out, uh, and. Also, the owner of Fred the dog was there. Uh, cool. uh, of course, of course, Fred was Fred's gone. But uh, oh man, I was gonna say Fred was still alive, dude. That's some awesome uh, cryogenics. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jerry Reed's daughter was there, and uh, and by the way, the owner of Jerry, uh, the owner of Fred, uh, whose name I don't have right here, but uh, uh, he he presented. Uh, Jerry Reed's daughter with the shirt that Jerry Reed had worn throughout the entire movie, that sort of brown checkered sort of shirt. Uh, apparently he had had it all these years and he decided to give it to her. I don't know how he had it. Like, what did he just pick it up like someday? I, we were speculating on that. But, uh, but of course, huh? It was, was it yeah, it was perfectly, perfectly, oh, yeah, uh, perfect. I didn't want it to think it, it, it looked, it looked really well. They said that it had like a cigarette burn in it, but other than that, it was created by Jerry Reed himself. So, uh, uh, so all that stuff was interesting, but you know, and then we're going to have a screening of the, of, of the movie, which eventually got rained out like five minutes oh, before man. Five minutes before the screening was was about to happen, there was a there was a torrential downfall. So, um, but uh, uh, you know everybody was really there to see Bert. And me me personally, I was there with my friend Brian, who I went to NYU film school with. And uh, uh, I was telling Brian, I said, I won't believe he's going to be here until I actually see him uh, here. 
But uh, sure enough, you know, I was walking around outside in front of the facilities. It happened at a, at a at a very nice little park in Jonesboro. Um, I was walking around the front of the facility, and the cops told me to get to one side and everything because, you know, there vehicles are coming in here, you know, in a place where it doesn't look like vehicles really should be. But, of course, they had to bring Mr. Reynolds up to as close to the to the place, you know, to give him less walking uh space basically because, you know, he he's eighty one, he walks with a cane now, uh, because of some of the injuries that he's he's uh, uh suffered over the years uh making movies. Uh and um so he uh he came in and I saw him in the car, I could see he was in the front seat and I was like, Well, he's here. That's that's amazing. Uh, I did bring some posters along, and and I did have a contact to the PR person, but you know I I, I could have probably finagled a, an interview uh, in some way, but it was such a crush of people, and I didn't want to really detain the 81 year old superstar, uh, and uh, so I, I so I just didn't didn't pursue it. And uh but anyway I was out uh he did come out. Uh he I thought he looked great. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he's wearing a cane, uh that he's walking with a cane. But uh uh he, what I was really concerned about was whether he was still mentally sharp. And that indeed he is. He's he's just as funny uh now as as he ever was on on Carson or in the movies. Uh, he's he's still very witty, um, and so uh, they, they asked they asked the audience to uh, to contribute some questions into a into a you know into a collection, and they would ask some of the questions. Uh, but um, he talked about uh, he talked about you know his injuries that uh, have have uh, you know resulted in him having to walk with a cane and he said that that one of the injuries it came from came from uh deliverance during a uh during a scene in deliverance where they had to uh i guess they had to dam up the river mm-hmm. and stop the flow of water and uh, uh he said that he was sitting in the uh canoe uh, uh waiting for filming to commence and uh, he said he heard a huge rush of uh, water, like a tidal wave, coming, and it came and just swept him, and he ended up sort of breaking his tailbone. He said on a on, oh. on, on a on a rock, and that's one of the injuries that that continues to to bedevil him years later, uh, and probably probably a lot of stunt injuries as well. Uh, those those you know a lot of these injuries. Uh, you know, contributed to his to his pill addiction, I think, to kill some of the pain. But um uh he had uh, great stories to tell. He said he said, first of all, uh Ellen Needham uh said that the uh that the movie <clears throat> you know, they try she was asked to to uh find some certain lines in the script or something for somebody and she started looking through the script and realized that the copy of the script that she had, the original script, 
for Smokey and the Bandit really didn't have any of the lines that we hear in the movie because most of the movie was improvised uh, dialogue-wise. Uh, and uh, that was something I, that I didn't know before. Um, I could have suspected some of it, but not not all, all of it. Um, but uh, even uh, Burt Reynolds said that uh, when he was talking with Sally Field, uh, 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 you know, about you know the dialogue in the film, he he encouraged her just to make it up, just to go go along with the flow and. Some of the stuff she made up that he loved was the was the little sequence, the little scene in, with him, her in the car, and uh, her shoes off and dancing on the dancing on the windshield. Hmm. You know, admiring her legs. He said, he said she had great legs. He said if he had calves like hers, uh, he could have gone all American. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, one of the questions that was asked was. Uh, uh, what was it like riding with Sally? And, and he and he said, "What do you mean in the car?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, so a little sexy kind of joke there that everybody enjoyed. He said, "Sorry, I had to do it." But uh, um, uh, uh, another thing that he was talking about was uh, his his assistance on having. Uh, Jackie Gleason in the role of Buford Justice. Uh, he said he told Hal there was nobody else for the role, and uh, so when they got him, they had to deal with also his prodigious drinking. Uh, he had a uh, he had a valet on set at all times, uh, and the valet actually appears in the movie. There's a scene where there's a uh, there's a scene where there's a bust on a little brothel the foxy lady brothel in the that takes place in a that's in a pink trailer and there's a like a there's a senator that's gotten out of there that has no clothes on well that's jackie gleason's valet who was drafted for that role Mm. and uh uh apparently gleason would uh would during filming would uh, call out to his valet the word hamburger. He wanted a hamburger. So he'd go, hamburger. And the valet would re- would return with a triple <laughs> a triple of scotch, you know, in a glass <laughs> for him. And after, you know, after a few hamburgers, you know, uh, <laughs> Gleason was pretty, pretty well done for. And uh, uh, Reynolds, Reynolds remembered <clears throat> that, there was a scene that they were waiting to be set up and he and uh Gleason were sitting near some some kind of like everglades kind of like you know like kind of a, a like a little swampy area almost and uh uh he said one minute he was looking at Jackie and the next minute Jackie was gone he looked back and saw that Jackie Jackie had fallen over in the chair into the water, and Holy Reynolds goes. Bert, Bert goes. Jackie, what happened? And Jackie gets up with his glasses, and, and he says, "Never spill the drop." <laughs> so you know, the, uh, uh, you know, he was, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, still a partier even then, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it was just, it was great to see. Uh, to see Bert and see him so 
so still so well loved. You know, when you have when you have Burt Reynolds show up in a small southern town like this, I mean, it's like having the Beatles show up oh, for, yeah. for these people. And uh, it, it was a it was a crazy crush of people. Uh, uh, I wish I had done one thing that one guy did, which is you know I brought some posters. I have four uh, Burt Reynolds posters. I have my Deliverance poster, which is signed by Ned Beatty. Uh, I have uh, one for Best Friends, one for. Uh, stick and one for the longest yard, which is probably one of the best ones to have if you're a Reynolds fan. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, I used to have a Sharky's machine, but I gave it away to to uh, Jason Miller, a friend of the show. Uh, but um, it was it was great to see him. You know, I do have regrets that I didn't pursue it further uh, into medium. Uh, uh, one person did get an autograph. Uh, <laughs> Because they were smart enough to, in the question box, to put in a question, would you sign this thing that I have, you know? And and he indeed did get it signed. And uh, Reynolds was making jokes about that as well because he was he was from another country and he had an umlaut in his name and <laughs> he said what a what a pain in the ass you are for having an umlaut, but. Uh, uh, it was it was really great. He he wasn't up there for more than I'd say more than twenty five thirty minutes, but uh, it was still great to see him. And and apparently he had uh, he had arrived earlier to see a recreation of the uh, of the of some of the stunts. Uh, they had about <clears throat> I I heard a report that there was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred. Uh, black Trans Ams. There, there were some other colors in there too, but most of them were black with the gold eagle on the front. Uh, so they had th- 300 Trans Ams in the town that day, uh, circling circling the uh, park, and they also had the uh, uh, a recreation of of uh, Cletus's truck. You know, Jerry Reed's truck there. So. Uh, it was, you know, except for the rain out, it was a really, really great celebration. And, yeah. uh, they had, they had fans from Sweden were there and Switzerland, Canada, Germany, I heard. Uh, I talked with somebody, uh, a group of people that had, uh, driven down all the way from Jersey, uh, to, to, to this event. Uh, somebody who had, who had actually, been to uh, see the movie on on its first day at the Radio City Music Hall, um, so it was a uh, it was a big event for a lot of the fans, and and it was great that that all those people could be there, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, it sounds cool. that way. I mean, it it's I mean I got I can't see. I mean, this is like the first movie I remember seeing in a theater where it was so crowded, like we couldn't sit together because it was just like. It was. I mean, it was sold out, but we couldn't. There was no way. We, I went with my two older brothers, and they sat like somewhere towards the front. I sat somewhere in the back. I must have been like six years old, and I just remember I had never been to a movie where they swore so much. You know, I mean, it was hilarious. I was just could not. I don't think I've ever laughed that hard before that in a, in a movie theater. 
I just don't remember laughing that hard. And, and I hate to say it, probably not since either. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, mean, I, I, felt the sa- I, felt, I felt the same way when I watched Deliverance. <laughs> my uh, my experience was uh, first seeing it was at the drive-in, and uh, it was at the Northeast Expressway drive-in. Uh, we were there. Yeah, I forgot what was on the second uh, on the second bill, uh, but uh, I do kn- I do remember that uh, they told us before the movie uh, they the voice came on the speaker and said, well, we have a problem with the print of Smokey and the Bandit, so we're going to have to show you another movie uh, before we get the print fixed. So they ended up showing us Toby Hooper's uh, Eaten Alive, <laughs> which was oh, not a great Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> that's not that's that was the first thing I think of, I mean, but yeah. Not not a great no. movie to you know we weren't thrilled with that having to sit through that ter- I thought it was a terrible movie um, I still do uh, I don't like a lot of the animal cruelty in it uh, but um, uh, but it was worth it oh. to see Smoking the Bandit of course at the drive-in so and it wasn't yeah. the last time well, I think I uh, saw it a few more times uh, there I'm sure Burt Reynolds feels pretty revitalized because of his latest movie. Um, and he has been. He has been. I mean, when it premiered at Tribeca uh, earlier this year, he was he was really pushing it with interviews and stuff, and um, and on the red carpet with Robert De Niro, you know, smiling ear to ear, and so it's a it's a good time to be Burr Reynolds. It's always a good time to be. Well, yeah, we would imagine it would be, but I'm sure he's had a lot of hard times in his life. He but, said um, the biggest. Uh, he mentioned some, two of the biggest mistakes he ever made, and one of them was Johnny uh, was Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> wow! Wow! He he admitted that. Wow. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he and yeah. he called out Sally Fields as his favorite female co-star of all time. Uh, so sure. that, was, that was sweet, you know. Um, I we watched the movie again when we got home because we were just. You know, we wanted to see it again, and uh, Brian hadn't seen it since he was in high school. And I said, "Well, this is going to seem completely new to you," and uh, he ended up kind of falling asleep in it. He said, "Yeah, nah, it's not as not as great as everyone says." And I said, "Well, I still have a. Uh, it's not a masterpiece or anything, but it does have great stunts. It does have uh-huh. some great laughs in it. The the cast is charming, and." Uh, uh, I still have I still have a fondness for it, even though I oh, know yeah. it's not a great movie. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's a it's a it's a movie that knows what it is. Uh, it doesn't try to be anything else. I was IFC or some somebody some station like that did a marathon of the Bandit movies uh, a few months ago, and so I rewatched it. And yeah, it's it's fun. It's not like it right is, up there yeah. with the, the most serious classics of '70s cinema, but it's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. I mean, it's just a fun movie. I mean, it really is like a precursor he would make. I think I think Hooper is a better movie, personally. And I think it sets that up um, beautifully. Um, so, you know, he made, like look, Cooper, let's not yeah. forget, this guy was like the biggest star for, you know, when we were growing up. I mean, this guy was he, the biggest he, star. He, he still has the record for the most years at number one, as the number one box office star, five years yeah. In a row. Wow. So you know, it's, it's hard because 
at the drive-in one night, I went to go see Hooper. And uh, instead of Hooper, they played Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive. And I just thought it was the oddest thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Adam's on the line. I'm here. Yes. Hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. I'm catching the tail end of your conversation about uh, Burt Reynolds. There sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun fun day. Uh, you know, I I do have regrets, but uh, I, I I wish I you know <laughs> I wish I would have had Bloody the Anderson one actually. Always, but I wish I would have pursued yeah. more. You you haven't heard your sound clip yet. You want to hear it? Let's hear it. Yeah. Anytime you're not on the show and we want to ask you a question, we're going to play this sound clip, okay? Get ready. Okay. Uh, Kikuchi? Uh, Shunsuki Kikuchi? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. That's great. All right, let's get right down to it because I, I know. Uh, first of all, Adam has uh, premiered on our show as an interviewer, uh, an episode that just uh, posted last week. It's the uh, conversation that Adam had with the author of *Close Encounters of the Third Kind*, the making of Steven Spielberg's classic film. It's an hour and fifteen minutes or so. It's very exhaustive into the history and the legacy of that movie. So anyone that's interested in that film, on the occasion of its fortieth anniversary. We just posted that special show, so uh, we thank Adam for that. Thank you, Adam. Uh, and so, and secondly, you you said that this month is like loaded with a lot of Blu-rays, so we we need to get right to it, right? Yep, we can do it. Yeah, it's, well, there's quite a few that they sent me. I, I you know, as far as the actual slate goes, it's about the same, but I got uh, I got a lot of uh, review copies this month, which is a good problem to have. But uh, but anyway, yeah, we'll jump right in. Um, so June sixth, uh, how about the twenty fifth anniversary of Juice, starting to talk about here? <laughs> well, that's good timing. Well, I mean, it's awesome good. timing. You couldn't ask for better timing with the biopic. So I mean, and that's part of the biopic. So I mean, wow. Um, and I guess we should say it's like the directorial debut of Ernest Dickinson, right? On uh, Spike Lee's yeah, DP. Right. Yeah. That's right. And who would go on to really even, he was still, I mean, he epi- directed a lot of episodes, I think, of The Walking Dead, so he's still going strong. But, no, Juice is, you know, Juice is an important film, whether you want to admit it or not. I mean, that's the arrival of Tupac Shakur as an actor. Um, that cannot be understated. That movie has a, still has a cult following to this day. Um, so I, I I can't believe it's been that long, that many years though, but um, mm-hmm. so it has. <laughs> yeah, technically it's been 26 years because it came out in '91 actually. Uh, yeah, it did. Yes. Also on the same day, June 6th, uh, 1492, Conquest of Paradise. <laughs> yeah. I yes. I wonder. I mean, I guess they, you know, there's 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 a demand for it because of Ridley Scott. But uh, it's a bad movie. That, does anybody does anybody like that movie at all? No, it's <laughs> I mean, all, it was awful. When I watched, I remember seeing it in the theater. It was my friend disappeared for a good hour because he had to go to the bathroom, and he asked if he missed anything. I said no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good. Uh, 
Vangelis score. That's like all I can say about it. But wasn't it odd? It was a trend at the time to like, uh, there was that movie, and then there was a Saul Kind's uh, Christopher Columbus, the Discovery movie. Uh, yeah. It's like well, a weird trend of dueling Christopher Columbus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, oh, and then you had, and then of course you had Chris Columbus, who was directing movies. Uh, but, that, you know, that was confusing as well. Yep, but I remember when they were having those dueling film projects, and I was thinking to myself, Nobody wants to see either a Christopher Columbus movie at all, period, much less two of them. <laughs> yeah. was, and, I, and apparently I was correct. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> who played Christopher Columbus in the – Who played Christopher Columbus in the Falcon version? I know that oh, it was Gerard Depardieu in the uh, in the – Ridley Scott one, but I don't remember. I don't. Which was don't. their first mistake, by the way. I'm sure. I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't think they had a star. I think they had. Uh, I know Tom Selleck was in it. Uh, Marlon Brando was in. And, it. Yeah, uh, but I don't think a star was playing Columbus in that. And Maureen Puzo wrote the script for that one too, if I'm not mistaken, or the story or something. He had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, you're right. I, I, the, the, the guy's name is George uh, Coraface. I've never heard of him before or since. So, yeah, George Coraface. George Coraface. I remember the name. I do remember George Coraface. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But um, anyway, Hell, Hell and High Water is another Twilight Time. That's uh, directed by Samuel Fuller, one of the early CinemaScope. Uh, films and it's a submarine drama. Um, I guess the cinemascope is what makes it. But um, if you like Sam Fuller and you're a Sam Fuller completist, uh, Hell and High Water is now available from Twilight Time. And of course, like I said, no relation to the Jeff Bridges Hell and High Water. <laughs> uh, this is a slate of like relentlessly guy flavored movies. Like, you know, so. these are like. <laughs> oh God! Is Shark? Let me ask you: They have Sam Fuller's Shark in there by any chance? No, they do not. <laughs> but the 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 last of their titles is The Quiet American, uh, the Joseph Mankiewicz. Which I've never seen that either. Yeah, so that's uh, that that's the Twilight Time slate. So. Um, Anyway, it still beats uh, John Wick 2, which was released the same day. So, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, so Shout Factory issued The Lonely Lady with Pia Zadora, which has been the, the punching bag yeah. for a lot of jokes, I'm sure. But I'm going to have to get that as a, a, and Christopher Columbus' The Discovery. That's a great month. <laughs> <laughs> now, what yep. are we just talking about, Pia Zadora? Like a couple of months ago, when they released Butterfly, is that the one? I think so. so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what so, it was. Yeah. Right. The Lonely Lady is a, an out—I mean, outrageous, outrageous, outrageously funny bad movie. I mean, that—that <laughs> is that—that that is a fun movie to make fun of because it gives oh. you so much, so much to work with. Uh, but uh, that's. That's a that's a noble movie if that's something that you you like to do uh, do the whole MST3K <laughs> treatment of it. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, uh, so the same day, Warner Archive issued um, the Gumball Rally, which, uh, mm. you know, obviously was a better version of what became the Cannonball Run. <laughs> right. But the Cannonball Run, I, I, I love it. It's a guilty pleasure. But uh, the Gumball Rally is is pretty it's, – it's a lot funnier, I think, and uh, has a lot more outrageous stunts. And it still holds up. I like it. Uh, it just doesn't have the star power that the Cannonball Run has. I think that's what separates it. Then you got uh, yeah, I mean Michael, you got uh, yeah Michael, Michael Sarazen, and, Sarazen, yeah, yeah, and uh, Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah, he has a big role in it, and uh, Tim, I remember Tim also McIntyre. Tim McIntyre who played uh, who played. Alan Freed in that uh, great uh, rock and roll movie, uh, American Hot Wax. Yeah, uh, and he also played George Jones in the uh, the biopic of uh, Tammy Wynette's life, Stand By Me. I always <laughs> thought about. It. <laughs> and that's good casting. He he does he does look like uh, he does look like George Jones. He was an underrated actor who, who was in. Was he died yeah. too soon? He, he died uh, in, uh, not long after, the, less than 10 years after Gumball Rally came out. He, I think he was a hard drinker, and he had a heart attack. And Well, another Shout Factory release from their Shout uh, Selects line is uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie. Mm. <laughs> Which I cannot, <laughs> I cannot, like, really... Uh, you know the the Cheech and Chong movies. I think I only saw Up in Smoke, and it really it really should have been my thing, but it really wasn't. I, I never. I always found them more funny as uh, as uh, as you know recorded artists. I thought their yeah. I thought their albums were really really great. Uh, but uh, this isn't never... the one with Stacy Keats, is it? The one with Stacy Keats is Nice Dreams, right? Nice Dreams is the one with uh, Stacy Keats. He's in two of them, actually. He's in Up in Smoke, and then he does he plays the same character uh, again in Nice Dreams. Nice Which, Dreams, uh, I think, is the pinnacle of all of their movies. But next movie is all right. Up in Smoke is is really funny. Um, I think it is. things are tough all over, which is like you. I mean, every. I mean, that's where they're really just like basically, do we give up? Uh, I, mean, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that one I didn't like. Uh, I didn't care much for things are tough all over, but I I think Nice Dreams is pretty funny. I think Up in yeah. Smoke is uh, it's pretty like it's pretty solid. Uh, this movie. one I went back and watched it again. It's not. I don't think it's as good as Nice Dreams. I think it's that one's a step up from this one. This one. Yeah, I mean, Nice Dreams. I do think is like the pinnacle of their like movie work yeah. together. I really do. How mm, weird is it though, that they were in? Uh, how weird is it that they were in uh, Martin Scorsese's After Hours together though? That's pretty strange. <laughs> That's <true. laughs> People forget that. But, no, but, uh, it's that, but After Hours is that kind of movie, though. I mean, is that has that vibe to it, though, I think. So yeah. I, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. The best thing that yeah. Cheech Marin ever did was uh, Nash Bridges. And the best thing that uh, Tommy Chong ever did was uh, Ray Dawn in um, Commando. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, if you're a fan of a uh, next movie, though, there is a new interview with Cheech Marin on here, uh, radio spots in a trailer, and it is worth mentioning that P- that uh, this is the first appearance of the Pee Wee Herman character, as far as I know, on film. Yes, you're right. Absolutely, that's right. Oh my God, I forgot all about that. 
Yeah, because he actually. Yeah, he actually does appear, and there's a bunch of actors from the Groundlings in Mm -hmm. this uh, that turn up. There's even Clurg, Cassandra Peterson, John Paragon, who played Jambi on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and Phil Hartman. Oh, wow, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it has its moments. Uh, It's not, you know, the worst thing you'll ever see, but it's just, it's just not as. It's not as consistently funny as some of their other stuff. Well, remember, it's also, I mean, this is stuff, what, from the late 70s, early 80s? A lot of it's dated. I mean, it's just not, how else yeah. do you say it? It's dated. I mean, it's just, it's not going to, I mean, anyone popping these in, especially <laughs> younger kids, are not going to really, I'm afraid, aren't going to get it. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, well the, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Edie McClurg. Like, I talked to her, like, I called her up at her house. Uh, like a couple of hours after it was announced that John Hughes had passed away because I wanted her to do our show. And yeah. uh, I answered the phone. She, uh, she answers the phone with, you know, obviously the Edie McClurk voice. And it was very <laughs> tragic. I mean, she sounded sad. She was like, it's a very sad day and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get the whole planes, trains, and automobiles and, uh, and, and the Ferris Bueller Edie McClure got of my head, like I, <laughs> you know, with that with that voice. Well, with your back end, you shouldn't be throwing anything, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, not not to mention the natural born killers, Edie McClure, or the Carrie. She was in Carrie as well. I know. Yeah, I mean, I was right. I was just thinking of the John Hughes stuff since we we're talking about John Hughes. But... Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. All right, so. Uh, so we'll move on to June the 20th, and we have another uh, release from Shout Factory from the Shout Selects line, and that would be Car Wash. Mm, wow. wow. Underrated movie. Highly underrated, I would say. I agree. Is that, uh, is that the best thing that Joel Schumacher has been involved in? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Falling Down is probably. That's pretty I, I good. Think, Falling Down is probably my favorite Joel Schumacher movie. I guess he's the writer of the movie. He is. And, uh, and, um, and who is it? Michael Schultz is the director? Is yeah, Michael right? Schultz, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm really, uh, you know, if you're, uh, you'll be surprised if you've never seen it. The, uh, it's not, it is funny uh, a lot of the time. It's got a lot of laughs in it. But it's also surprisingly serious sometimes when it talks about when it when it gets to the subject of race and and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's treated quite seriously, and it's got a great cast. Uh, you know, I love you know Sully Boyard as the as the uh, uh, car wash owner, and um, uh, Bill Duke is in there as one of his more troublesome employees. And uh, of course, you know everybody remembers that. Uh, Richard Pryor and uh, George Carlin are in it, mm-hmm. although they're only in it for just a, a split second, not not very long at all. Um, and the Pointer Sisters, of course. Uh, Melanie Mayron is good as the as the uh, as I think he plays. She plays Sully Boyar's uh, daughter or something, who's also running the the car wash. And, and, and of course, it's got great music in it. It's got a lot of great music by. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Norman Whitfield, who was a, a soul soul music uh, uh, producer in the sixties and seventies, so that's why we have Car Wash and 
And also that that wonderful song in there, uh, I Want to Get Next to You, you know, that, that song. Mm-hmm. You probably know that one, Adam. Of course, uh, love it. Yeah, so it's got it's it's got a lot of stuff to recommend uh, about it. Let's not forget. I mean, remember? I guess it was what two thousand and one. There's a, remember? So there's a Snoop Dogg movie, The Wash. That yeah. is, let's not let's not be you know that's obviously like big. Did you ever influence. see that? Yeah, remember remember and Eminem's in it. I mean, everyone and everyone who's everyone at the time is in that movie. Um. I mean, it came and went very quickly. I mean, Snoop Dogg's movie career never really took off. Um, but that was, like, at the time, I mean, they, everyone, there was everyone, like, in hip-hop and rap was in that movie. And it, it was obvious that those guys loved, whoever made, I don't remember who made the movie, but they loved Car Wash. So, I mean, yeah. you, couldn't, you couldn't watch that movie and not think of that movie. I mean, well, no I mean, way. Car Wash, Car Wash, what now? That's a whole what? big routine that Chris Rock has. Chris Rock has a routine where he talks about the only movies they make about black people are about places like car wash, barbershop. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you've got plane. a point there. Soul uh, plane, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, car wash, you know, I mean, uh, also is a <clears throat> compendium of black performers, you know. I mean, it's it's really quite astonishing the people who yeah. are in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it got it has you know early black stars like Clarence Muse in it, but it's you know it's got uh, Ivan Dixon, you know, who is probably at this time more of a director than an actor, but uh, he's probably most famous for being uh, one of the guys in Hogan's Heroes. But mm-hmm. uh, he's a terrific actor who was in uh, you know nothing uh, nothing but a man, one of the great black movies, and then uh, Antonio Fargas, who's been in a, a thousand black movies. Yes, uh, I mean, you know. oh my God, I mean. <laughs> You know, you can't can't have a you know. He's probably in the wash as well. Uh, um, you know, so it's it's really got an amazing uh, amazing cast, and and they're all they're all working at top form, and it is a really good script, uh, excellent script by by Joel Schumacher. Really good stuff. Yeah, I think I think it's great too if you're a fan of Los Angeles in general, like I am. Uh, it captures it, it, it's like a time capsule for those of us like myself who were too young to have gone out there during that that time. You can actually see, you know, it captures that time and place so vividly for me anyway. Yeah. It. And it's interesting. I would like to report that the uh, TV version was also included on the Blu-ray, but unfortunately, it is not. And it's very important to note that uh, the TV version, uh, when it was shown on the NBC Monday Night at the Movies, two years after its release, um, they uh, took a lot of the stuff that has the gay character played by Antonio Fargas. Those were trimmed and deleted, and they had scenes that they had. There was a whole subplot with a diner owner played by Danny DeVito and his wife, Brooke Adams, and those were filmed, actually, they weren't filmed for the TV version. They were filmed during the actual production of the film. It, it cut them out for, I guess, to keep the film at a decent running time. But then they trimmed the, the scenes with the gay character and put them back in for the TV version. But uh, uh, alas, there's no Danny DeVito or uh, Brooke Adams to be found. Oh, so they, the, don't uh, have the, they don't have the trim scenes in this. So. No, no, not here. And, and I think the uh, George Carlin part was a, was beefed up a little bit more for the uh, 
for the TV version and, and maybe even the Richard Pryor too. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, you do get a couple of featurettes here. He's working at the car wash with Otis Day and car wash from start to finish with the producer and radio spots and a commentary with uh, Michael Schultz who went on two years later to direct uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which will be issued in a couple of months. Uh, as a warning, I'm telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, there you go. So, for whatever it's worth, uh, Car Wash is out on Blu-ray as part of the Shout Selects line. And uh, also on the same day, June 20th, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage was issued by Aero Video. That was the uh, uh, the, the a horror film that has a Argento. huge... Yeah. By uh, Argento, his first, I think, wasn't. But um, anyway, uh, also eight yeah, million like ways. To, oh, go, yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's it's it still holds up. Eight million ways to die. The uh, the final film for Hal Ashby has been issued by Kino. Um, that would be great and, if the director's cut of that existed. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't think it it does. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's the problem. No. Uh, no, but you know, think... uh, it would it wouldn't be unheard of with a Hal Ashby movie. It's I mean, true. They they, it's they, true. they they didn't know there was a director's kind of looking to get out until they researchers discovered it at mm-hmm. some university vault that he donated right. it to, and he had a cut yeah. of Eight Million Ways to Die, uh, and then uh, Mark Damon came in and uh, representing you know the producer representing the studio and. Stole it from his house and just oh, the hell okay. Oh wow, that's uh, it, that's uh, too bad. There's there are a few extras on the uh, the Kino Blu-ray. It's uh, there's audio commentary by film historians Howard Berger and Nathaniel Thompson, and an interview with Rosanna Arquette, uh, interview with Andy Garcia, uh, Alexandria Paul, and the writer Lawrence Block. So okay, that. Remember, I mean, at the time that was like that was Andy Garcia's like you know he made that movie. I mean, a lot of people. It was his breakout. Yeah, it was his breakout. I mean, it's a shame that Lawrence Block. I mean, I mean, they tried again with um, the Liam Neeson film a couple of years ago, and, and that's not a bad movie, but it, it more fall unfortunately because of Liam Neeson. And I don't mean this is really a bad thing, but it just falls under that geriatric action hero kind of genre. Because yeah, yeah but him, it, it is yeah. it is it is a wee bit better than his recent slate of movies. I oh mean, yeah, it, of course, it is of better course. Than, yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually bit. a very good. It's actually a good movie. I mean, it falls on, unfortunately it does fall under that banner though of a lot of people. But no, it actually is for mm-hmm. Lawrence. You know, it's a decent Lawrence Block adaptation though. So, but Eight Million yeah. Ways to Die would have been a much different. Uh, Movie, um, it, well, just like everything Hal Ashby did, it it it, it would have uh, really played with that cops genre, and I think it would have been a much more serious uh, investigation into alcoholism than it turned out to be. Um, uh, yeah, everybody was pissed. Well, everybody was pissed off at Hal, or they were pissed off on behalf of Hal. Like uh, mm-hmm. Rosanna Arquette said, she's never seen. Uh, a creative person treated worse than Hal, like she hates that whole experience uh, because of how they treated him. And then Oliver Stone really doesn't like Hal because he completely changed every scene that he wrote for the screenplay and, and it was a big debacle, that production. 
Yeah, it's sad that that was his final film, too. Uh, you hate to see that be his swan song, but uh, at least we have the good ones from the 70s. I guess it that's... still has some good scenes in it, you know. Uh, it's just It just doesn't hang together completely. Uh-huh. But uh, but it's it's interesting to see just, just for a completest sake. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Island of Terror from 1966, Screen Factory has issued that. That's Peter Cushing, Edward Judd, and Carol Gray, and directed by Terrence Fisher. Uh, it's, I've never seen it, but uh, I, but it's out They're there. They're really getting around to like releasing all of those uh, Hammer movies, aren't they? I mean, they're really. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're 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 making an effort to get them out there. Sure. Um. So Joe versus the volcano has been issued by our, uh, Warner Archive. Another underrated movie. Yeah, I, yeah, no, that's, I like that one. I like that one. That was a good movie. Yep. I agree. I mean, I, I I really like the first part of it best, you know, the the part that takes place in the offices, you know, the sort of green, uh, green kind of tinted offices. Yeah, uh, right. Those, those, and those isn't, parts Isn't there are, a guy uh, on the phone that keeps that keeps saying... I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. Isn't that part of it? <laughs> I do. I do vaguely. It's been a long. It's been a long time. It's been about twenty yeah. years. But I've, well, that I movie, vaguely that movie remember was that. unfairly unfairly maligned because I think when he had such a big success with Moonstruck, like the knives were out, and he, and he right. was trying yeah. to do something different. You know, he was trying to do something different. It wasn't. It wasn't a Moonstruck romantic comedy like people wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. And, and I can't remember. Was this released before um, the uh, Bonfire of the Vanities? Yes. Or, yeah. It was, it was that. It was that spring. It was the spring before. I thought um, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. Yeah. It kind of. It was like two uh, two failures in one year. That for one, not a good year for Tom Hanks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but he made up yeah. for it, though. He made up for it big time after that. <laughs> though. I mean, True. He did, he did. But the uh, the Blu-ray of Joe versus the Volcano has a uh, behind-the-scenes documentary and the Eric Burden 16 Tons music video. Um, yeah, and there's lots of, you know, the, the great character actors in that movie, just Robert Stack, Abe Bogota, Lloyd Bridges, Dan Hedaya, Lucy mm-hmm. Davis, and a great score by George D. LaRue. So, mm. you know, there's a lot to recommend. Yeah. Has has volunteers ever been remastered on Blu-ray? That was on <laughs> TV the other day, dude. That was on TV yesterday. Was it really? I think wow. it, yes. Oh wow. I lo- I, I, I love that movie. That's a silly movie, but I like that movie a lot. <laughs> the uh, the nineteen seventy four version of Ten Little Indians, starring Charles Aznavour, Maria Rome, and uh, Stephanie Aldron. That's uh, that's been issued by Scorpion. I guess in anticipation of Murder on the Orient Express, maybe that's coming out later I, this year. I'm not sure. Um, uh, the Lawnmower Man, yeah, Screen Factory has opted to put that out as in uh, both the original theatrical version and the uh, extended director's cut, which is about 40 minutes long. <laughs> that was a that was a movie that a lot of people loved back then but uh it's not something that people talk about now but uh it it had a little bit of a cable cult following you know what i mean yeah 
I saw it in the theater when it came out, and I hated it then, and I, I, my feeling remains the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it, it doesn't have Stephen King's name on it anymore, right? Because he sued them. That's right. Because the, yeah. yeah, because literally, I mean, The Lawnmower Man is one of my favorite Stephen King short stories, and it's a really short I agree. story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. And, and, and it's really crazy. And the movie has mm-hmm. like zero, like absolutely nothing to do with the short story. Uh, and so he was like, "Why are you Why are you putting my name on this thing?" So he sued them, and won. Yeah, he did. You're exactly right. And of course, later on, they did the Lawnmower, Lawnmower Man Two, which I didn't even bother with, so I can't comment on that. But <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be coming out next month on on <laughs> on Vinegar <maybe>. Syndrome. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the Marseille trilogy is being issued by Criterion um, with multiple films, multiple directors, Alexander Corda, Mark Aladrat, and Marcel Pagnol. And it's a box set of uh, these um, films from these early films from these filmmakers. Um, The release date was 1931, so they're very early. So um, anyway, uh, also have the Paul Nashi collection. <laughs> what do we think about Paul Nashi? <laughs> I don't have an opinion. <laughs> Spain's answer to Paul Nashi. Do we think about Paul Nashi? I mean, that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't really. I you know it doesn't. I mean, he doesn't write, so I mean you know. He, he's in the. He's big, big in the horror. Uh, yeah, he is. You know, uh, so I, I know he's big with the horror people, but uh, yeah, I have no, zero opinion. Okay, well, this is the Scream Factory release. It has Vengeance of the Zombies, Horror Rises from the Tomb, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, Night of the Werewolf, and Human Beasts. So, Jerry, are you breathing in the phone? <laughs> You're breathing into the phone. <laughs> I I am. Uh, no, Jerry. No, Jerry. Oh, I'm Jerry. Sorry. I didn't mean. I didn't mean. I didn't That's mean, all I was. Oh, I thought. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't like, mean to. I didn't mean I, it. I, I didn't I know we were like, talking about when a stranger calls. Uh, I know. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was breathing in the phone. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. It, I thought I was the wind. It could be the wind out here. I'm sorry. It, it sounds like Darth Vader is sitting in on our uh, <laughs> on our conversation. Well, that that would be. You know, is this he? We could use it right now. Um, some of these films are just god awful. Um, so. <laughs> Yes, I have to concur. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was breathing. I'm sorry about that. I didn't. I didn't That's all right. That. But it could, be, it could be the wind. Just stop breathing. Don't, the... Don't breathe anymore the rest of the show. <laughs> Don't breathe. All right. No, I won't, I won't, I won't breathe anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> Warner Archive has issued a few uh, movies uh, that were out of print or either had never been issued in uh, widescreen. Also, this month they did Protocol. They re- reissued that in the first time ever in widescreen, huh. so... Anybody's a fan of Protocol. It's not on Blu-ray, just DVD, but it is widescreen. It's been corrected now. And uh, also they reissued Pink Flamingos, which has been out of print for a while. So there you go. Um, That's good. Yeah. So uh, uh, Sakino has issued The Apple with Catherine Mary Stewart from 1980. <laughs> Another astonishingly great bad movie. I mean, like it is just it is just nuts. This film, um, 
It's a it's a futuristic tale of like a kind of a Eurovision type uh, uh, competition that's uh, taking place. That's that's now you know enraptured the world and and uh, the devil gets involved and that's where an apple comes in the the the, the, uh, the fruit of temptation and it's it's a dumb. Uh, really dumb movie, but man, did uh, you know? Of course, it's a Menahem Golan movie. You know, one of the early mm-hmm. canon movies, uh, and uh, just on a <clears throat> well, on an art direction and costume design level, it's it's astonishing, uh, and um, astonishingly bad. Let me put it that way. And, uh, and and the songs are terrible and everything, but it is it is a lot of fun if you're with the right people watching it and you're in the right frame of mind you know don't don't go in expecting a great movie obviously but uh uh but it is it it is like nothing you've ever seen so i would definitely check that out if you're looking for something radically different <laughs> there's an interesting story behind uh the release of this there there is an alternate cut of the film that was uh, being circulated around in some of the revival houses, and uh, MGM apparently lost the print. And uh, Kino Lorber was reaching out to them to because they wanted to include it, and they and they literally could not find it. They somehow lost the alternate print that had been. And they think that one of these revival houses actually uh, kept the print because it was so rare and just never returned it. They think that may have been what happened. But um, anyway, so that's it's too bad they couldn't get that. It has a brand new transfer uh, and uh, audio commentary with Catherine Mary Stewart um, and on camera uh, interview with uh, Mary uh, Catherine Mary Stewart in the original trailer. So if you're a fan of, of the Apple, there you go. And the 1972 horror film Deathline, which was released in uh, America as Raw Meat. With Donald Pleasance, uh, and which is actually pretty good. I think it's directed by Gary Sherman. It's uh, about these cannibalistic, uh, these cannibals that are living in the subway system in London. It's uh, okay. pretty creepy, pretty effective. Gary and, Sherman uh, is the same guy that did Dead and Buried, right? That guy, yep, that same guy. Yeah, very yeah, okay. early effort. Yeah, so uh, I, I would give that one the thumbs up. Deathline or Raw Meat however you want and so we also have um, Shag the movie 1989 directed by Zelda Barron which was filmed at Myrtle Beach South Carolina and takes place in 1963 and um, you know I, I like this movie I, I gotta yeah, admit it's, it's sweet it's got checked out a couple of years ago because I had heard that uh, that it was uh, underrated and mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought it was really good. It's got Bridget Fonda in it and uh, and uh, Phoebe Cates which is almost too much <laughs> to bear. So yeah. those two, those two uh, beautiful uh, young ladies on the screen is uh, kind of overwhelming but uh, it, it's good. Gish too. So. Oh that's right. Didn't Annabeth we talk Gish. about this last month? 
Yeah, I, I gotta remember we talked about SAG many Yeah, years we mentioned ago, it and then they, they uh they didn't get it released last month. They moved it up. Uh but I actually it, it has been released because I've sent a review copy of it. Yeah, but it's uh it's I just wanna mention it in case anybody was wondering what happened and why it wasn't available. It is available now and Wow. Okay. So now let me ask people. you this. I've had the I've had this this you know like when we do these shows, sometimes you'll mention a a movie, and I'm positive that we talked about it the last show, you know, last month. So does that happen a lot? I mean, I guess that explains that that, that like movies are scheduled to be uh, released on one month, and then they're pulled, and then they're released actually later. Does that happen? Yeah, what happens a lot of times, I know this has happened with Shout Factory quite a few times, is they will have a release date locked in place and ready to go, and then somebody that they reached out to from the original production of the film will call them back or whatever and say, hey, I'd like to participate in any extras you have. Sorry I'm late getting back to you. And so then they have to go back and and arrange a time to get together with this person because they want to get them you know, on camera for whatever, you know, so they'll have their stories for posterity, I guess, or whatever, you know. And, okay. Uh, and so they did that. They had that issue going with uh, Carrie, I think, was one that they had to delay the release on that. And one that actually I was just getting ready to mention is one that got delayed. It was supposed to come out in April, and they moved it up to uh, this coming Tuesday, and that's the Pink Panther collection starring Peter Sellers. It's a mm. box set of all of the Pink Panther films that starred Peter Sellers, all six of them together. Uh, it has a 28-page book, and uh, all of them uh, remastered, high definition. A couple of them have 4K transfers for the first time ever. I think Pink Panther Strikes Again and, um, I believe, Shot in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Brand new. And it also has a DTS uh, audio track. 5.1, believe it or not. Uh, the original Pink Panther has tons of fe- uh, special features on it, but there's a uh, a new interview with Leslie Ann Down on Pink Panther Strikes Again and uh, some theatrical trailers and still galleries and TV spots. So if you're a fan of the Pink Panther films, and oh, and the other good news too is the return of the Pink Panther was originally uh, owned by another company because uh, Sir Lou Grade put up the money to uh, make that one because United Artists wasn't interested, believe it or not, because it had been 10 years since they made one. This was the one they made after Shot in the Dark, and it became such a big hit that then United Artists jumped back on the bandwagon and financed the rest of them. But this one was, because it was Lou Grade owned it, they couldn't include it in previous box sets. Well, they have gotten the rights back, and it's here too, Return of the Pink Panther. So um, they're all there, but not the two without Peter Sellers, which were issued by Kino <laughs> the same day, or will be this coming Tuesday, and those would be Curse of the Pink Panther and Son of the Pink Panther. Now, Curse of the Pink Panther is the one that t- that's, that's like all the stuff that's cut out of the other movies or something, right? No, that's, so trail, cut... that's trail of the Pink Panther. That's they, Trail they actually... of the Pink Panther, because he was still yeah. alive. I mean, he was kind of, when they started filming that, if I'm not mistaken, he was still alive when they were making that. And then who came in to do it? I mean, they had to come in. Who came in to finish that movie to fill in for Peter Sellers or whatever? I don't... Well, uh, what happened was uh, they had a 
from uh, Trail of the Pink. I mean, um, Pink Panther Strikes Again. They shot a mm-hmm. lot of stuff they didn't use, and he did die in 1980, of course. And then this one was released in the fall of '82, so he had been gone a little while. And right. uh, Blake Edwards was just totally sure that he could fashion a new Pink Panther movie with with all this unused footage from Pink Panther Strikes Again, which uh, it does work for a while, for about 45 minutes of the movie. I think it actually works pretty pretty well. There are a few scenes where they were missing dialogue, so they brought in Rich yeah. Little. Yeah, to, that's right. It was Rich Little. They do the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. yeah, they did. And then uh, the, the other problem, too, was that David Niven uh, was was also in this, this movie, and uh, they were filming this simultaneously with Curse of the Pink Panther. Right. So they, they filmed them together. David Niven was in both, and what they did was they had uh, Rich Little come in and also do the the voice of uh, David Niven, and it turned out to be his final uh, you know appearance on was, screen. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. yeah, he was uh, he was suffering from uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, unfortunately, and his voice right. was totally gone. Uh, but he's he, he's in both of these. But yeah, is the one with uh, it. Um, because they kind of set it up at the end of Trail of the Pink Panther that he's been kidnapped or he's missing. And so then Dreyfus hires this bumbling detective to uh, go find him, and he's played by Ted Wass. That's right. Now, that is the name. That's the name that most people will not recognize, but he was the lead, one of the leads in uh, the TV series Soap. That's uh, right. And I don't, I don't really understand. How did they settle on Ted Wass? It seems like such a random kind of. I know. Kind of kind of decision to to cast him in the lead because he he wasn't really the lead of the show. He was really part of a huge ensemble. Uh, so it wasn't like he really stuck out on that show, except that he. I guess he was kind of known as the dumbest character on that show, so I guess that's why they cast him because he was because he was yeah, typecast sure as there's... being a dummy. <laughs> no, well, there's an interview with him on this uh, the Blu-ray of Curse of the King Panther, which I haven't gotten around to yet, and I I, I wonder if he'll address that in there. But uh, yeah. But this it has an interesting cast, Curse of the Pink Panther, as uh, of course David Niven, like you said, Robert Wagner, Herbert Long, Joanna Lumley. Kathy Seen, uh, who unfortunately killed herself about seven years after this came out, and Robert Loggia, Harvey Corman, and of course Burt Cloak. Uh, yeah, so, kind yeah. of a reunion of a lot it of is. the cast members yeah. of the other movies of the other Pink Panther yeah. movies. But, but uh, and, and it failed miserably at the box office, and you think that would discourage Blake Edwards from doing that again, but. Uh, ten years later, exactly ten years later, he uh, decided to bring them all back, and so practically everybody that's all the supporting characters like Herbert Long and and Bert Polk and uh, Claudia Cardinale, and brought them all back along with Roberto Benigni for uh, Son of the Pink Panther. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, a movie that that should, that you know you would think would work would work because of Roberto Benigni, and he couldn't even pull it off. Um, yeah. But they got everyone. They got Claudia Cardinelli. I mean, they got everyone to come back for this. Yes. I mean, I couldn't get. We couldn't get over how many. And, 
And it like sort of like marks the beginning. I don't know. Robert Davi is the villain, just really. He is. Like my God, you've fallen on hard times, buddy. You're you're not doing good here. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had I had a friend. Uh, well, guy who writes uh, for Creative Loathing, which is our the Charlotte version of uh, L.A. Weekly. It's basically the same type of publication. And uh, when when this film came out, I remember he. Uh, his when it, one of the lines from his review was, "If you'd pissed on the grave of Peter Sellers, you couldn't have uh, been. It wouldn't have been more offensive." And so uh, I brought I brought that up. I brought that up to him the other day because now we're colleagues and friends. And he said, "God, I don't remember that." I said, "Well, that line stuck with me years ago when I read your review. I said I've never forgotten it." But uh, it just. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work, unfortunately. Uh, you would think that they would realize that the thing that made the movies work more than anything else was the relationship between Peter Sellers and Herbert Long. Those scenes alone. Yeah. And, right. And and once you get once you lose one of those, it's just impossible to replicate. You can't. There's a level of insanity in those movies, especially on the Return of the Pink Panther, that I don't think I've ever seen. I don't know how you can re- how you could ever hope to recreate that. I mean, I mean, those two just were crazy um, when they were yeah. on screen, and, and I don't see how you could ever hope. And that's, no, that's not a slight to Roberto Magnini, but it's just not going to happen. It's just not. It's just you well, can't or, do it. Or Steve, or Steve Martin. I mean, they've tried so oh, many times. That, that was, um, yeah. you know, there are people who think that that first one is funny, and I just I thought it was painful to watch. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and 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 another thing that it's worth mentioning is this was the final film for Blake Edwards too. He never directed another film after this. And after what a, you talk about your swan song, you really don't want it to be Son of the Pink Panther. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's what it. I mean, I you know I, I can't say you know when you make that and that's it. You know what else is there? I mean, yeah. I mean, he was, uh, you know, and, and and it's also the final film for Henry Mancini. He never, you know, his this was the final thing that he did as well. And so I, you know, it, it, the music is good as always. There's a great opening sequence in it with uh, Bobby McFerrin doing the uh, Pink Panther theme a cappella, the entire theme. So that's kind of neat and interesting. But, uh, you know, and then it's... And it's great to see those actors and those characters again, but it just doesn't doesn't hang together, unfortunately. Mm. But um, I always get anyway. I always get Bobby McFerrin mixed up with uh, Michael Winslow from the Police Academy movies. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> they do the same thing, basically. Yeah, they do. It's true. Uh, Good. Yeah, but but Kino, not to be outdone, has also issued the Alan Arkin and Spectre Clouseau film as well from '68, directed by Bud Yorkin. <laughs> Anybody wow, remember that one? Bud Yorkin. Oh, I remember, that. and I remember it not being <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, yeah, that's oh, what's that's, the name? That's what's a weird that? oddity. It is. It's it's, uh, it's called Inspector Clouseau, so. 
Uh, yeah, that's a weird. It's like it's like it's like the, it's like the James Bond movie that we always grew up thinking would be the worst run, the George Lazenby one. But that thing is much better than anyone ever thought it would. But no, the Bud York and Alan Arkin Inspector Clouseau. No, no one really wants to talk about that one. No one. <laughs> no, I mean, no one ever wants to talk about that movie. As it's great tough. as as great as as Alan Arkin is, and particularly in that time period, uh, it doesn't seem like it would work. No, it's just not. It's not worth talking about. Even. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's yeah. It's, uh, I think it's the the equivalent to when they decided they wanted to do Casino Royale in the sixties. Yeah. It's like that. They, yeah. they wanted to take. Uh, it's it's kind of yeah. like that. They went out of the the normal franchise, but wanted to take the character and do something with it. But doesn't work. Does not work. So Straw Dogs has been issued by Criterion. Um, they've issued that previously on DVD, but never on Blu-ray. So it's a brand new transfer and uh, lots of great documentaries and extras. So if you're a peck and paw completist, got a. It's been issued on Blu-ray before. On uh, the Fox put it out years ago, but I think that's out of print now. But this is the uncut yeah, version. Yeah, terrible, the, terrible transfer. Fox yeah. did years ago on that. Uh, it was all yeah, uh, bleached out. I remember Fox around that time, their Straw Dogs was terrible, and their French Connection was terrible. They oh, had yeah. a redo French Connection. Yeah, Yeah, that French Connection, I know uh, that was freaking, was originally crowing about how wonderful it was. Do you remember that story? And <laughs> Yeah, and then Aaron and then Aaron told him, I mean, this happened in the interview Aaron did with him, and he said, yeah. no, it's... It's really it's really bad, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and so Freakin got together with a cinematographer. They watched it together, and Owen Roisman and Roisman was like, "See, this is really awful." And Freakin said, "Yeah, they must have done something wrong at the lab, so they had him redo it." Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's it, it really does, and I, and I bought it. I was one of the people. Bought it and it, it, it doesn't. There's parts of it where the colors are just smeary and it's just it doesn't doesn't look good. The 1981 documentary uh, being different, which has uh, Billy Barty and Sandra Elaine Allen, hmm. uh, uh, a documentary about human oddities from '81. But I've I've never never seen it, but I hear good things about it. Code Red has issued that. Um, it's out there. Um, as code Red. Trespass. What's that? Yeah, we haven't heard of Code Red before. Yeah. But, uh, code does, Red, yeah. does Mountain Dew have their own Blu-ray yeah, label now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, they put out some. They 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 don't release a lot of stuff, but uh, they they dig in there and get some really interesting stuff when they do um, make the decision to issue things so uh, I, I'm sure this is probably worth checking out because they choose carefully they don't just glut the market with, with garbage so it might be worth seeking out um, Trespass from 1993 featuring the late Bill Paxton and then Ice Cube Ice Tea and William Sadler and written by Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis uh, I forgot that they Wolf. wrote that yeah yes. I forgot that too I remember this was this movie came and went very quickly after all the controversy because it was originally going to be called Looters, and That's right. because of the riots they um, they changed it to Trespass. I remember I went to go see it with a good buddy of mine, actually one of my best friends, and um, 
and we were kind of really disappointed by it. So um, it wasn't really anything to write home about, given all the hoopla. This isn't the. This isn't yet another remake of like the most dangerous game, is it? The no, 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 not really. No. no, that was you're thinking of uh, surviving the game. The yeah, 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 surviving yeah, okay. the game. Well, that's that's Roger Hauer and and uh, Charles S. Dutton and Ice Cube. That's what you're thinking of. That's a year later. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I rewatched well, Trespass. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I rewatched Trespass. I hadn't seen it since it originally came out, and I I thought it holds together fairly well. I mean, it's not something you want to watch multiple times. No, no, I just remember giving the, you know, because, you know, Walter Hill is an interesting, not a, you know, hit a, a very hit and miss at this point in his career. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just given all the hoopla. I mean, he's obviously, they're trying to ride, like, both his Ice Cube and Ice Cube are really at the height of their, of whatever movie career they have. Ice Cube would, of course, come back more as a comedic force in years to come, decades to come, yeah. actually. But, um, you know he's really he's really trying to capitalize on it. We just always felt wow he was really late to the late to the game on this one. Um, the movie seems like really just I, I mean I just remember being really disappointed when we went to go see it. Um, yeah, I uh, just heard today that uh, Walter Hill's directing the at least the first episode and probably more of uh, Goliath, the second season of that Billy Bob Thornton show on Amazon. Hmm. It's interesting. He, uh, I thought it was funny. He turns up in the uh, movie, uh, the Baby Driver, which I saw the other night. Uh, you know, the Edgar Wright movie. He turns up in a cameo at the end of the movie, which I know is a, I'm sure is a is a tip of the hat to the driver, which Edgar yeah. Wright is a big fan. Yeah, of. yeah, that's that's a great movie. That's just a superb yeah. movie. But I was going to say, uh, the sharp-eyed observer should be on the lookout for a Walter Hill sighting towards the end of that movie because uh, it's. He's in it, just briefly, but he's in it, so, yeah. Um, so, Trespass, yeah, and it's kind of sad. You go back and you're watching Trespass and Bill Paxton, of course, and I, I just, I can't believe he's gone. I'm watching that. I said, I can't believe that guy's gone. Yeah, it's, it's a surprise, you know. Yeah, but anyway, so the uh, the Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis film, Money from Home, uh, from 1953, Olive Films has issued that. And um, directed by George Marshall. Mm. Anybody's a Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis completist. There's another one of theirs uh, that's out there. And uh, Olive also has released this uh, 1981 horror film, Victims, starring Abe Kaufman, Robert Axelrod, Lonnie Winters, Ann Richardson. Really wasn't familiar with this one until uh, until it was. Uh, so I received a review copy of it, but um, I'm curious about these early 80s slasher films. <laughs> but uh, another Olive Films release. And I have several, just a few other themes. We're, all, we're getting to the uh, to the end here. But there are just a couple other things. 1985, Deja Vu is, uh, stars Jacqueline Smith and Nigel, Nigel Terry and Shelley Winters, directed by Anthony Richmond. Uh, from 1985. I've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> good, good one. 
Uh, I was going to say that uh, uh, that reminds me of the other movie Deja Vu, the Henry Jaglum <laughs> movie. That's much better. <laughs> Actually, right, right. I, I I I just watched the uh, Tony Scott Deja Vu a, a few weeks ago. No lie, I mean I did. Uh, there's a lot of Deja Vu movies out there. Yeah. Shout uh, or rather, all the films has, has released another Nicholas Ray film, uh, The Savage Innocence. That we talked about. They live by night earlier, so there's another Nicholas Ray. Um, and um, Hell in the Pacific. The Have John they Borman ever released film. Hey Adam? Adam. Adam. Yeah. Adam. Have they ever released the um, uh, the uh, Nicholas Ray, the thing that Vin Vendors did, the documentary that he did of Nicholas Ray? It's out on DVD, not Blu-ray, but it is. Uh, and it may, I think it's out of print at this point. I, I have a copy of it. I got it when it was available. But Anchor Bay issued that. It's really, really, uh, really something to see. It's I pretty, highly recommend it's that. It's pretty astounding. I mean, essentially, it he is. interviews him on his deathbed. Yeah. He does, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's kind of hard to describe it actually, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish they would put that on on Blu-ray. That's that's one of the great uh, filmmaker documentaries, I think. But no, it's just available on DVD. Uh, but uh, I think there may be the rights may be in limbo at this point because I think, uh, like I said, Anchor Bay had them at one point and they lapsed, and I don't know what's doing with them now, but. Um, so the 1968 film, uh, Hell, in the, Hell in the Pacific, uh, with Lee Marvin and Pashiro McCuney and directed by John Borman. Um, and that, that'll be a good one to get on Blu-ray. That's a beautiful movie. Yeah, beautiful that's a, yeah, it is. That really is a beautiful movie. 